Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stanford Sierra Youth and Families podcast, Resource Families Thrive. This is Daniel, and I am the recruitment specialist with Pathways to Permanency. And my name is Amani Myers, and I am a resource family approval specialist trainer here at Stanford Sierra under Pathways uh, to Permanency as well. For everybody that is new to our podcast, remember that we are an organization with a cumulative 140 years of experience. We provide numerous services to the greater Sacramento region, and all of those are to support our mission. And the mission statement is transforming lives by nurturing permanent connections and empowering families to solve challenges together so that every child can thrive. We have office locations in Roseville, Grass Valley, Citrus Heights, Sacramento, and Woodland. I want to start off acknowledging that we're going to talk about some pretty heavy topics. Uh, There's going to be some stuff about current events and also historical events that have kind of led to where we're at. And there might be some heavy feelings and some heavy information. So I'm really glad for everyone to be listening right now. And I hope that you do learn a lot, that you're able to get a lot of information. And it's also why it's really important for everyone to remember that we do want people to like, to comment with questions, with additional information, and to share these things out so that we can kind of spread these voices for everyone out there. Amani, I know that you wanted to read some names. Yeah, I thought that it would be important for us just to take a moment, a pause, especially as uh, all of these current events have been coming to a head. I think it's important to pay homage to those who have been impacted by police brutality, the intersection of racism, sexism, homophobia, biphobia, and transphobia. And so I'm just going to read off a list of names and excuse me if I uh, mispronounce any of them. George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, Justin Howell, Sean Monterosa, Jamel Floyd, Rhea Milton, Dominique Remy, Nikki Kuhadzen, Kevin Bacon, Julie Berman, Dustin Parker, Tony McDade, Laylene Polanco, Aluwantin Salu, Victoria Sims, those who've died during protests, and any names that we have not been able to mention. Thank, Thank you, Amani. Like I said before, it's, it's a heavy topic, and Amani, were all of those people of color? Many of them were trans, many of them were brown people, and yes, um, many of them were also people of color. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a lot going on in the world right now, as I've said probably four times already. And so I know that we are in the midst of massive protests, massive social change that is happening. And in addition to that, it's Pride Month for the LGBTQ community. I think before I go any further, I know that people don't get to see me all the time. They get to hear my voice. And I do want to acknowledge that I also am a person in a great position of privilege. And so I do speak from that position. So I acknowledge that I am a white man talking about these things, trying to share my experiences with the communities. I hope I can be the best ally that I can be, but this is an ongoing growth process for me too. 
I also hold multiple identities as well. So I totally understand where you're coming from, Danielle, as someone who was queer, as someone who was uh, Black, as someone who was a woman, and as someone who spent time in foster care. There's so many intersecting identities that we have. And so to your point around, you know, understanding your privilege, I think that it's important to recognize that but also understanding the different intersecting identities that we have. I think that even though we're in this this time of Pride Month, that people are protesting and people from all over are not just protesting Black Lives Matter, but we're protesting for trans lives. We're protesting for people who just are under the microscope. And so Mm -hmm. I think that you know, as we're going through this process and understanding how our identities inform how we are, how our identities inform how we act and how our identities inform how we portray ourselves, I think it's really important to really bring up the uh, the term intersectionality so that folks can understand when we're discussing the our roles and we're discussing our identities that people understand and recognize that we are not just coming from one place, none of us, even if we are not any of those people that have identified ourselves as trans or bi or black, we all hold multiple identities. And so I really appreciated uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's term. She was first coined this term. She's a law professor and social theorist, civil rights activist and our leading scholar of critical race theory. And so she became widely known um, when she gave a TED talk on being a female and black and how these identities of gender and race can work against us. And so since then, intersectionality is considered by activists and therapists like me to be crucial to social equity work. It's also a framework of conceptualizing a person, group of people, or social problem as affected by a number of discriminations and disadvantages And it takes into account people's overlapping identities and experiences in order to understand the complexity of prejudice and privileges they face. It was a really powerful TED Talk. I remember the first time I saw it and I'd heard of intersectionality, but hearing it direct from the person who created the theory and and put that into the world is a really powerful thing. And it makes so much sense. None of us are just one person. We all have multiple faces. We all have multiple hats. And for everyone does, I do. The big thing is, is recognizing that those different faces, different hats, different voices people have to use are, I want to say compounded for people of color, especially trans people of color. It's a huge thing that we need to talk about, that no person is just one person, that a life is this really complex thing and you have to take into account all these experiences. Yeah. And I I really like that you brought that up because even for me, I, in hearing this, it was really important for me to listen to that TED talk as well. Just as someone who, like I said, who holds multiple identities growing up in foster care, it was really difficult for me to really understand the lens that I was coming from because I was someone who was really just trying to survive. And so it was really difficult for me to understand what it meant to be Black, what it meant for me to be a woman, what it meant for me to, you know, struggle and challenge through my sexual identity. 
as well as someone who was Christian. Growing up, you know, we're told that, you know, you're Christian first and then everything else comes after. That simply isn't the case because you walk into those identities at every point of your life. For me, it was just really, really difficult to sort of feel as though I was holding one hat when, like you said, everything is compounded. And as someone who is going through the system and trying to understand what it means to just live, how does a person really truly understand who they are when there's so much going on around them? And so for me, really understanding that identity is intersectional, understanding that my identity has been rooted. My identity is something that continues to grow. It's mm-hmm. something that continues to um, expand and widen. And as I've learned and as I've grown, as I've been in places where I've been able to be safe about who I was and who I am, I think that was the start of me being able to really understand what it means to be someone who is not just different, but has intersecting identities. And so as we work with families in foster care, you know, we're helping foster parents understand that young people have dealt with so much trauma. And as they're trying to work through their trauma, it's really important for them to have really good support systems that are in their spaces to help them know that they are okay. As you get older, you're growing, you're figuring out who you are. This is a process that everyone goes through. And they're, they're doing all that while they're, they are processing their experiences of trauma. So like for everyone who's listening, just imagine all the stuff that you went through as an adolescent and going through puberty and all of that, and then add trauma and trauma work on top of that. Yeah. And you're so right. And I think it's about how do we normalize these experiences and that we don't separate, we don't separate that because just because someone has, you know, experienced the foster care system and is in the foster care system doesn't mean that, um, you know, all of these identities that have been attached to them are actually true. It's really about getting to know that young person and understanding who they are and what do they like, what do they like to do? You know, who are you outside of, um, outside of all of these different things? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. It's about creating that, that safety for them and listening to them. I know back when I was still training resource families, there were a couple of times when we'd bring up um, LGBTQ youth and people would be going, I don't want that many rainbows around my house. And I'd be going, maybe the child doesn't want rainbows either. Like you have to ask them. You have yeah. to find out what they want, what they like, how, how they see these things and find out if that's what they want to even do. Yes. Like we said, like there's so many things that are, are happening, so many things that are growing, right? Mm-hmm. And we're learning new things. We're learning new terms every day. And so it is super important to not stereotype a young person because again, not every young person wants to wear a a flag or not every young person wants to wear a rainbow. I know for me, I came out when I was older. And so for me, coming out was truly a process that was important for me to really confide in some of those things like the flag and connecting with folks who were just as open. Because when you're someone who has been beat down and 
and told this is what you should be and this is what you should not be. For me, it was about, okay, how do I, how do I develop into the person that I want to be? And how is it that I can come out of hiding by not necessarily attaching myself to these things, but finding um, my identity and also some of these things. Mm-hmm. And so it's super important to understand and to value and also validate a young person's experience. And that's definitely true of any identity, walking through that and figuring out how they want to represent themselves, uh, how they are shown that they feel safe. I remember very distinctly, this is actually from when I was 14 years old in high school. So as a sophomore, first day of my honors English class, I walked into the classroom and one of the very first things that I ever saw was this tiny rainbow triangle sticker on the side of my teacher's filing cabinet. Wow. I was 14 and I'm almost 34. And that still sticks out in my memory because I remember very distinctly being able to think to myself, even as someone who wasn't necessarily fully out to myself, this is a safe place for people. Yes. And I think it's about like what you said, just that symbolism of the sticker, Mm -hmm. how safe that made you feel. And I think ideally young people just want to be seen. They just want to be acknowledged. They want to be heard and they want to be validated. And it's not about making some big party or some big festive out of it. It's about those little gestures of saying, I see you. When I was in college, I was in a diversity class. I went to a predominantly white college. And I remember walking into the classroom. I was the only black person in the classroom. And my professor, who's Indian, as soon as she saw me, she said, you know, you're going to sit up here. Here's your seat. And in a way, what she was doing was saying, you know what, I see you. Here's your place. Um, here, here, I want you to feel validated. I want you to feel seen. It wasn't something that was a big deal. Mm-hmm. It made me feel seen. It made me feel heard. And it also made me feel safe to know that I would be in the front of the classroom and be in a place where I was safe to be able to share my experiences, to share my thoughts, to share how I was feeling. And even through that process, I was also experiencing what it meant to have conflicting feelings of being lesbian. Just through that classroom and just through that teaching and just through her um, awareness of her words just made me feel safe. And so I think that it's beautiful that you were able to come into a classroom and to see that sticker, it could have meant anything. Yeah. But the fact that you saw that sticker, you, you felt heard, you saw, you saw yourself in the classroom. And I think that that's where it also starts as well. It's about these small gestures. It's just about acknowledging people wanting to be seen. And I think that so many of us don't understand as someone who is queer, there are so many things that I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have all the answers. And so for me, it's about what does it mean for me to listen? What does it mean for me to be in spaces where I'm not typically always in? But it's about listening to those stories. It's about asking, how can I be of support? It's about acknowledging that you just don't understand. And I think that mm-hmm. so many of, of us, have been taught, have been bred to feel like we have to know it all. We have to have all the answers. 
But that's just not simply true. And I think the beauty of learning, the beauty of being able to learn from one another is by listening. And mm -hmm. so even for me, like just hearing you speak about your experience in the classroom just brought up so many things for me in my own world of what it means to be not just queer, but again, someone who's Black, someone who's a professional, someone who grew up in foster care, and holding all of those identities while still trying to make things happen. With regards to safe spaces, too, I think that there's, there's a lot of misconception around safe space. We hear certain things being talked about on media, on news, and various forums about like, oh, people need their safe spaces. And oftentimes it's said that way because people imagine that those who need them are soft when realistically it's just that we can go into those places and we can feel like we don't have to have those faces on, those masks on that we always wear. I personally, as a white male, I am able to go a lot of places without fear. And people oftentimes assume that I am heterosexual and I can walk through the world in a great degree of safety. I kind of fall into that pattern. I fall into that pattern of knowing that I'm safe, but it kind of makes me clench up a little bit too. And so when I'm able to find a space where I can relax a little bit, it just takes a load off because not everywhere does feel that way. And I have to look for those symbols, even now in my 30s, to know where I am, if I'm around safe people. It's so funny, the things that I see that say that I am, like I have bright blue hair. Did I see someone else with blue hair? Oh my gosh, we're friends now. <laughs> like, it, it's just funny, the things that we look for, they don't have to be big. And I think that that's what a lot of parents worry about that they have to do these grand gestures and do these huge things when they don't need to do that. And it's especially important for when we're working with kids who are navigating these identities and who have experienced trauma on top of that. And right now, especially in the wake of these social changes, in the wake of all these protests, that they have a space where they can be safe to share their feelings, to grieve, maybe to scream. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, um, I totally agree with you. And speaking of hair, one of the things that comes to my mind is Dwayne Wade and his daughter, who recently came out as trans. There was a picture floating around the internet of um, his daughter with, I believe, pinkish hair. And Dwayne Wade followed suit to support her and also had pink hair. And so I'm looking this up right now, I just need you to know. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful, I would say, representation of what it means to be supported and to be of support because Dwayne Wade is a cis man. When you look at him, he's just someone that fits the stereotype of a, of a straight man. He's a basketball player. He's all of these things. But to see that he was able to come out and has been supportive of his daughter and has even spoken out against those who have um, had negative things to say. And just to watch their whole family come alongside his daughter and, and support her through this process, I find is such a beautiful gesture. For me- are super cute too. Yeah, for me, that is the start of safety. I think about when any of us walk into a room, uh, we are often able to perceive those who are welcoming, friendly, et cetera. 
and we go and we sit by those people hoping that their friendliness will continue. I know that's me. And so that's often the realm that many of us sit in when we come into a room. We are often looking for who is safe and who is not. And you cannot always tell by judging a book by its cover or anything like that. But I would say that oftentimes we find those who we can, who we think are safe. It's and a vibe. They are safe and sometimes they are not to be safe. But I think that at the end of the day, we still take the risk to engage because we all want to feel safe. And so I think it's about taking time to reflect on what makes us feel safe. For me, feeling acknowledged and seen is a start. When I walk into a store and I'm not bombarded with someone following me or questioning my motives, when I'm just simply trying to shop, you know, that's a start. It also begins with a kind gesture, such as a smile a nod when I walk by, or even a compliment. I think that's where it starts. It's about finding your tribe. For me, when I'm with queer people, when I'm with people of color, when I am with young people who've experienced the foster care system, it feels good to be able to breathe and to be able to relax without having to explain who I am because these people, all they know who I am. They also know the complexities of who I am And so they take their time to think about how they're going to ask their questions. And so a great example of that has even been with everything that's going on with police brutality and the murders of um, our brothers and sisters. For even for me, who has many white friends, many of them have wanted to talk to me about what's going on. And to be quite honest, I have not had all of the energy to be able to um, the emotional energy to invest in those type of conversations, but I've still wanted to hang out. And so what I've said is, you know, I don't have the capacity to emotionally engage on these issues, but can we go to the river and can we drum together? Can you come over and we can play games together? That has been the support that I've needed during this time. And to know that people are respecting that makes me feel validated and makes me feel heard. And so going back to our families, you know, sitting with your young people, even if you don't understand, asking what they need, asking what they want to talk about, asking what they don't want to talk about. Giving them the space to actually maybe not know what they want or need or not know the words to put it properly or effectively. Yeah. And to be quite honest, I didn't even know how to respond to my friends and they weren't specifically asking for support i just i was trying to anticipate what i felt was going to happen and i wanted to be able to mention that so that i could take care of myself because there have been times when i haven't even been able to even know what is it that i should say i have that i can have the habit of isolating myself mm-hmm. and for me it's about understanding the triggers that isolate myself, especially with these events that have happened. For me, I don't want to lose out on relationships because I know that these people matter to me. And so I had to really ask myself, what is it that you need and what is it it that you can communicate to them so that they know and and that I know? I would say that it was just a beautiful exchange to be able to say that. I felt empowered to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that when young people, especially who identify with these complex identities 
and complex, not because of their complex themselves, but because of how society has made them complex. It's a lot for people to have to walk through. For me, knowing that people have been murdered by the police who've been Black, who've been women, who have been queer, have been trans, you're trying to grieve through all of these experiences and you don't always know what to do. So one of the things that I really appreciated is that uh, the agency provided a safe space for people to come on and to just share how they're, they're feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, just as an agency, I thought that that was super important because when you're able to take care of yourself and your needs, you're able then to also provide that for other people. And so because I was able to take safe space with myself and for myself, I had the opportunity to join a support group for foster parents and resource parents so that those who are raising black children and brown children or queer children um, can be on the call and we can, you know, be there for one one another as we're trying to ask these questions and, and, and process through these really difficult emotions. And because I was able to take care of myself, it was helpful because then I was able to um, support our agency and our resource parents. Yeah, it's the old adage, you can't fill others if you have an empty cup. Yeah. You gotta and take I, care of yourself first. Yeah. The beautiful thing about this, Daniel, is that I feel like the tides are beginning to turn. Mm-hmm. And I say that because I would say that I think people are really tired. People are fed up, and not just Black people, not just Brown people. Um, white people, so many people are are fed up. And to see the protests, to see people are coming together, to see people asking questions. I mean, I've had, I've had people even just come into my inbox and just to say, hey, I see you. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sorry if I caused any pain, if I caused any hurt, if I caused any of these things. I just want to say that I'm sorry. That is the first step of being an ally. Yeah. You know, is if you can acknowledge your own mistakes, if you can acknowledge your own wrongdoings, if you can acknowledge that you're different, that you can acknowledge your own privileges and how your privileges have benefited groups of people, but to also acknowledge that you see the pain, you see the hurt, and that you want to step up and that you want to do something. And then sit in that discomfort. I've been through that journey myself it's still uncomfortable sometimes when I don't know how to interact or respond to someone, to to someone telling me their story, or I haven't experienced that thing myself. So realistically, I can logically understand what they're saying. Like I understand the words and I theoretically know the feelings, but I have to also sit in the discomfort that no, I really don't get it. In foster care to speak generally, we can logically know about trauma and Kids have experienced trauma and acknowledge that, but there's also that discomfort of being able to say, even if I experience something similar to you, I am not you. And therefore, mm-hmm. you know your experience better than I do. Mm-hmm. You yeah. are an expert of yourself. Yes. I have to acknowledge that and sit with that discomfort of, I am not an expert of you. Yes and um, allowing people to control their own narrative about who they are. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people have decided who we were going to be. It's about stepping outside of that to challenge, not just 
those who have identified who you were going to be, but challenging yourself because I had to realize that I'm not just someone who grew up in foster care. I'm not just someone who's queer. I'm not someone who's just Black. In holding multiple identities, it has been taking time to understand what those mean. And by treating myself with dignity, worth, and respect, and also treating others with dignity, worth, and respect, seeing people as humans, understanding the complexities that they bring. It's important to see color. It's important to see it's important to see your sexual identity. It's important to see how people show up, but it's also important to get to know people for the things that they enjoy doing, what they enjoy wearing, what they enjoy eating. You know, and I think sometimes when we hyper-focus on just that identity of being queer or being Black and what makes them different, I think that makes it really, really difficult. I think when people have shared things about their identities with me and kids in particular, especially when I was still a support counselor, one thing that I would ask them is, what does that mean for you? Mm-hmm. What is, how is that important for you? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I had a, a youth that was transgender, if I asked them, what does that mean for you? They might say, well, you know, I want to wear makeup sometimes, but not all the time. I'm I'm a trans girl. That doesn't mean that I want to go out in frilly dresses constantly. It just means that this is who I am. Yes. And understanding the the importance of fluidity Mm -hmm. with all of those things. I think that that is super important because there's so much to learn. And like you said, sometimes we think that because this person dresses a certain way, that this is who they are all the time. No, that's not true. I think that the unique beauty of blendedness and the beauty of not making assumptions is allowing people to be who they are with all of who they are, recognizing that each of these things that make up who they are, are strengths that help them become who they are and what they will continue to become down the line. Yeah, I agree. So you and I had brainstormed a couple of important resources. Do you want to start off talking about yours? You can start off. Fine. (laughs) So a couple that come to mind for me, if you're looking more for information about representation of queer culture in media over a long history, there is a fantastic documentary called The Celluloid Closet. I have not looked up where you can find them, but uh, they go over representation of LGBT people in movies and TV shows and other media. A quick aside on that also, something that jumped to mind, one reason it's important to talk about people of color and queer people of color in Pride Month is that realistically, we would not have LGBT Pride without two specific individuals that are often thought of as like the, the beginners of all Pride. And that is Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. I want to make sure that those names are known too, because they were, Marsha P. Johnson is the one who is attributed with throwing the first brick at the Stonewall riots. And she was a trans woman of color. Another resource that I really enjoyed was a video by a woman named Asante. 
and the video is on YouTube and it's titled How to Be a Good Ally for everyone that wants to learn how they can use their privilege to support those with intersecting identities. It's a really great place to start. It's super short. She's really upbeat and she's kind of fun about it. And so those would be the two main ones that I could think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I think those are really great resources, Daniel. So I would say that uh, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon are good video hubs to watch so many documentaries and they have put out different categories, especially with what's going on today. You can just easily go on to each of these sites and the categories will pop right up. One of the videos that I have heard so many great things about and is such a good representation of what's going on today is the film by Ava DuVernay. It's called 13th. The film was created in 2016, and the film explores the intersection of race, justice, and mass incarceration in the United States. It's titled after the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which abolished slavery and um, ended involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for conviction of a crime. Mm-hmm. And so this goes through the just the timeline of what it meant, um, giving you historical context, as well as the context of what's happening today. Something that we talked about earlier today was the TED Talk by Kimberly Crenshaw and talking about the intersection, uh, intersectionality. And so I think that would also be a good resource for people to check out, especially as, as we talked about when you're working with young people, they have all, towards, all sorts of different identities and they make up all different sorts of things that are about themselves. And so that's a really good entryway into understanding the importance of intersectionality. Yeah. And I know that last week you and I were texting back and forth. And when you were telling me about a couple of things, I went down, I told you I went down a YouTube rabbit hole a little bit on TED Talks, especially, I know we didn't have time to discuss it today, but uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, it was double consciousness. Yes. I want to make sure I got the term right. Yes. And also code switching was one that came up a lot. So those are terms that I would recommend people look up as well to really understand how we have to constantly adjust ourselves to an environment. Everybody does it, but understand how complex it can get when you have complex identities that have to do with multiple marginalized populations. And I think also to just mention also community resources also, I know that they, there's also support groups for resource parents that are held to talk about some of these things, as well as some for young people as well. And so I think it's about tapping into those resources along with the community resources. Like Daniel mentioned earlier, Google is a really, really good resource. And also YouTube are great resources to start with. Mm-hmm. I wish we had more time to talk about all of this, talk about the supports, even that we as an organization do offer, you know, the support groups, definitely, we had the safe spaces to discuss specifically around the riots, around police brutality, around the feelings that people are having on that. We had those for our employees and for our parents. And on top of that, just the, all of the work that we do in training our resource families and being culturally humble. I wouldn't say culturally competent. That implies an end point that you can achieve competence. Mm -hmm. But culturally humble and understanding that we don't have all the answers. 
yeah. I, I would say you and I are experts in this field. We've been, both of us have been working in this for a while. We do this for a living and I definitely still don't have the answers. Definitely. There's always room to grow. And I think that that's the beauty of um, cultivating that mindset of cultural um, humility, because there's so much to learn. There's so much to grow. There's so much to gain from it. Like you mentioned, in the trainings, these are some of the things that we talk about. And that's one of the things that I also really value and appreciate about the resource trainings is that we talk about what it means for a young person who is LGBTQ plus A. We talk about what it means for a young person of color who is Mm -hmm. in a home that does not culturally reflect their own background. But it's about having those resources and knowing those resources and understanding that there's so much out there for us to learn. All right, Amani, I wish we had more time. I really do. Yeah. I'll bring you back. Yeah, this was great. Thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate this. For everyone that wants to reach out, give us a call, visit our website. Our phone number is 916-368-5114. You can also find our website at ssyaf.org. And I really do hope that people, again, like, comment, and share on any of our social media posts around the podcast. We want to answer your questions. We want to know what you want to know. And until we get to hear from you again, I hope that you keep on thriving. Awesome. Thank you.